Hello, listeners. This is Brian Winston, and I'd like to welcome you to the November 18th edition of Unity in Christ. When children see someone else with something, they want that something for themselves, whether or not they need it. Thinking back to when I was young, I was pretty much like that as well. When my friends brought a trendy thing to school, I wanted the same thing and begged my parents to buy one for me. So, my parents bought me all kinds of things that were in style, like shoes and name brand clothes. But I remember quickly losing interest in these things. Kids, like myself, after we obtained what we wanted, we soon lost interest in those things because we didn't know their value and never felt grateful for having them. Despite having wanted such things, I feel because I did not know its value, I was not thankful for it, and because I was ungrateful, I lost interest. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, and unholy. This passage comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Apostle Paul notes ungratefulness as one of the conditions of the last days of the world. What about the lives you and I lead? Do we live lives full of thanks? Are we grateful for all that has been given to us? In a way, we lead plentiful lives and take that abundance for granted. Therefore, overlooking the gratefulness that is due. It's so obvious that I have my health, that I have my work, that I have my family, that I have food to eat, a place to sleep, clothes to wear. Everything is all provided. Perhaps we do not know how to be thankful. But if we could just think for a moment, the things that we think are so readily available in our lives may not be the case for others. Some people do not have their health. Some do not have work. Some do not have a family. And some people do not have food, clothes, or a place to sleep. What I think is obviously mine are actually not that obvious, nor is it readily permitted. Therefore, we must give thanks to God who has allowed us these things. Some people give thanks to God despite not having their health, despite not having work, despite not having a family, and despite not having food, clothes, or a place to sleep. Let us reflect back to how much we live a life of thanks for what has been given unto us.
We should, of course, be thankful for the things that have been given to us. However, the deeper meaning of thanks is not just of the things given to us. What did Apostle Paul mean in 2 Timothy chapter 3 when he mentioned ungrateful people as one of the conditions of the last days? Certainly, it can be the ungratefulness for the things given to us But as I look at this time and era, I feel it could be the ungratefulness for God's grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. Instead of punishing the sinners, the sinners who disobeyed God's word, left God, and opposed God, he sent his cherished one and only son. He had his son hang on the embarrassing cross, spat at, and whipped. His hands and feet were nailed, and the water and blood flowed out blatantly showing God's grace and love. Is this not the last days when the people of today do not have any feelings nor give thanks to the great love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ who obeyed God to die in our stead? If someone truly was grateful for that sacrifice and love, Could he bear to not live a changed life? Could a person still live the way he always has with his usual values once he comes to know and thank God's grace and the love of Jesus Christ? Maybe I go to church because other people go and get baptized because other people get baptized, take on duties because other people take on duties, and do not understand the true value of the love and grace given to me. Do I live on, disinterested, and neglecting what has been given to me? It is not uncommon to see churches of today lose interest in God's love and grace and instead focus on how to use God to lead a better life, succeed, and live easily and more comfortably on this earth. The passage from 2 Timothy chapter 3 comes back to mind. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, and unholy. It's scary seeing the churches of today change like this. Say 
by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. Be thou my wisdom and thou my truth. And thou with me, Lord, thou my great Father, I thy true Son, thou in me dwelling, and I with thee one. High King of heaven, my victory won, may I reach heaven's joys, O oh, bright heaven's sun, heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O oh, Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is Thanks Living, based on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Mark. You know what? A thankful heart is a powerful motivator. We as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have been given a second chance, haven't we? God hasn't given us what we deserve. That's his mercy. And God has given us what we don't deserve. That's his grace. We've been given grace and mercy, and we are so thankful. Let's look at the first part of 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. Let's read together. Read with me. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In everything give thanks. This is one of the keys to a peaceful, tranquil Christian life. In everything give thanks. The NIV reads, give thanks in all circumstances. The New Living Translation says, no matter what happens, always be thankful for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean that we give thanks for everything, but we do give thanks for the good Father in heaven is accomplishing through everything. We can't, we can give thanks for everything because we know that nothing can touch us except comes through the Lord and he allows it to do good in our lives or in the lives of other people. We can't control the good or the bad things that come to us, but we can control our response to the good and bad things that come into our lives. You know, all pioneer missionary to India, Amy Carmichael wanted to do was serve the Lord. That was all she'd wanted to do. That's her life. She didn't have as her ambition to be a mom or a wife or to have a career. She just wanted to serve God as a missionary. And you would think, well, that would be easy then. All you want to do is serve the Lord, so it's going to be an easy road. <laughs> no. In fact, she experienced a lot of difficulties. There were times when she was so sick she couldn't get out of bed. And during one of those times, she said, nothing in life can harm you. Only your response. Nothing in life can harm you. Only your response. She wasn't controlled by her circumstances. She wasn't overwhelmed by her situations. 
The Bible says that sometimes the enemy will come in like a flood. You know, that, that describes trouble. It comes in, it rushes in, it seems to overflow, and it wants to take things downstream with it. We can't always control the flood, but we can control our response to it. Matthew Henry, the well-known Bible commentator, really modeled this in his life as he responded to trouble. One day he was assaulted by robbers who stole his wallet. And listen to what he writes in his diary. Let me be thankful first, because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my wallet, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. <laughs> Fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. This guy's amazing, isn't he? Oh, that I could be that godly. Here is a man who, when something bad happens to him, the first words out of his mouth aren't, why me? It's, Lord, I'm so thankful that I've never been robbed before. I'm thankful that though they took my wallet, they didn't take my life. Lord, I'm thankful uh, that uh, they took everything I had, but it wasn't much anyway. Lord, I'm thankful that I wasn't robbing anyone. What an attitude, right? Man, I wish I had that attitude. I want that attitude. God, help me to choose a right response when trouble hits. Tim Hansel, years ago, was climbing a mountain, had a big accident, and, which left him in severe chronic pain. Pain never ends. And out of this journey through pain, in his pain, he wrote a book that has blessed thousands, hundreds of thousands of people over the years. It's been reprinted many times. I found it to be a real blessing. The book is called You've Got to Keep Dancing. That's the title of it. Now, I want to share with you one sentence from his book. Listen to this one sentence. If you can't change circumstances, change the way you respond to them. Say it with me. If you can't change circumstances, change the way you respond to them. Right on. I thought, what wisdom. And isn't that what the Apostle Paul is saying? In everything, give thanks. This kind of thanks living it goes beyond thanksgiving, which you think, well, that's an act. That's something I do. I just do this occasionally. I do it once a year. I give thanks to God once in a while. No, this isn't just thanksgiving. This is thanks living. It's a life that's a statement of faith. The way you live your life is a statement to the world and to God that God, even though things don't look good, even though things are tough, even though times are trying, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to follow you. I think it's illustrated so well, thanks living is, when we remember the life of Job. The Bible records that although he lost everything, his children, he lost his wealth, his health, his reputation, he lost everything except his yucky old wife. Can you imagine saying that to your spouse? Why don't you just curse God and die? Well, Job didn't take her advice. And he didn't curse God and live. He didn't curse God at all. You know, sometimes I think it'd be easier to die than it would get to be go on living, right? Sometimes it's living in faith in hard times that I think glorifies God and is kind of a living martyrdom, truly. No, he went on and he chose his response. Job declares his trust despite his grief and his loss. In Job 13, 15, we read some of the oldest words in Scripture, the book of Job having been written first. Some of the oldest words in Scripture, Job 13, 15, Job says in the midst of this trial, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Though he slay me, I'll hope in him. I won't give up my trust. I'm going to trust God completely and fully. You know, we all experience those times in our walk with the Lord where maturity is spelled T-R-U-S-T. Trust. Trust. 
There are times when we don't understand what's going on, and God says, what? Trust me. There are times when we don't know where this thing is going, but God says, trust me. Oh, you don't say it like that. You say what? Trust me. Right. God says, look, this is the foundation stuff of Christianity. Trust, belief in me. When things don't look like what you want them to be, when you can't see something, when you don't have evidence, you believe that I'm taking care of you, that's trust. And so if you want to grow in your Christian walk, God's going to say, then trust me. You want to grow? God's going to say, then grow up and trust me. We all experience those kinds of times. One of the marks of Christian maturity is having and demonstrating a genuinely thankful heart to God for every circumstance he allows. And trust he'll bring blessing out of our difficulties. We trust the infinite wisdom of God. And we say, Lord, you have a purpose here. Your hand is in this. I don't see it always. There's no trust involved if you know what's the end, right? You know, once you've seen it, you don't have to say, well, I have faith that this is going to all turn out well. I mean, let's say it does turn out well. Well, I have faith as I'm watching this movie that it's all, is it a matter anymore? You've seen the end, right? You know how it ends. Oh, it's all going to be fine. My son he said, Dad, let's watch this movie. And I said, no, I don't want to watch anything tragic. He said, no, it's, it ends good, Dad. You know, only these people get killed. You know, so it's... And I said, you know, I see enough tragedy in real life. I don't, I'm not entertained by it. I don't want to... You know, my family, they're all, oh, come on, Dad. No, I'm not doing it. They got me to watch it. And I'm like, oh, you know, roller coastering through it. But now I'm ready to watch it again. Let's watch it again. Because I know how it ends. It's the ride that's so scary. Right? Once you've done it, it's like, oh, let's watch it again. And it's not faith. It's not trust. It's knowing then, right? God's saying, do you trust me to take you from point A to point B? Oh, I don't know. It's scary, God. Oh, you know, listen. Do you trust God? Yes. Then relax. But the music's scary, but everything looks, ah, you know. But how does it end? Look at the last chapter. You know how it ends. You're with the Lord. You're with the Lord. Now, some people, I feel sorry for them. I think it's scary because you see them driving around town, and they say, God is my co-pilot. You don't need God as a co-pilot. You need God to be the pilot of your life. There's a hymn that talks about that. Jesus, Savior, pilot me. Over life's tempestuous seas. See, we need the Lord to be the pilot, the guide of our lives. And we don't want to be in the seat. Let him be the director of your life. One of the marks of Christian maturity is that we are giving thanks in everything because we're trusting God in all things. And we're saying, Lord, even though I don't see the good in this, I don't see how this is going to end right, I'm going to trust you. So the way I enunciate that trust, the way I... I live that trust is I say, thank you for, and it might be something that looks like a disaster. I don't know. If I do that, will it make things worse? No. It's an expression of faith. Thanks living. There are lots of times when God's hand and purpose can't be readily seen in our situations. I think 19th century preacher and Bible teacher Charles Spurgeon put it so well when he said, when we cannot trace God's hand, we can trust God's heart. When we can't trace God's hand, we can't understand what God is doing. Lord, where is this coming from? Where is this going? I don't get it. Lord, it looks like the bottom's falling out of my life. We can't trace his hand. We can't see what he's doing, but we know him well enough that we can trust his heart. How do we know him well enough to trust his heart? Where is God's heart? expressed most clearly at the cross of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came into this world, God is saying, look at me, look at me. I love you so much. I want you to be in heaven. I'll do whatever it takes to get you in heaven. I will die for you, and no one can love anybody more than this than that they would die for them. And so Jesus came willingly, and Jesus came desiring to take the death we deserve and the 
takes our guilt upon him and he hangs on that cross dying for our sins so that we can be forgiven and go to heaven. Look, you can trust someone like that. Amen? Amen. And it wasn't the nails that kept him on the cross. You know that, right? It wasn't Roman guards standing around him, keeping him on the cross. It wasn't a mob surrounding Jesus that kept him on the cross. What kept Jesus on the cross? You tell me. It was his love. That's what kept Jesus on the cross. It was his love for you. His love for you. You can trust Jesus Christ. He didn't just say, I love you. Jesus did something about his love for you. And he died, and he rose again, and he's at the right hand of God, and he intercedes for you moment by moment by moment. He sees you. He loves you. You can never get away from him. Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your presence? If I go up into the heavens, you're there. If I descend into the lowest part of the earth, you're there. There's no place I can flee from God. Because God says nothing can separate you from him and his love. Romans chapter 8, 30 and 31, he's saying, the apostle Paul says, you know, there's no demon that can separate you from God's love. There's no principality of the enemy, no power of the enemy that can separate you from God's love. There's no thing in life you can experience. There's no situation you can be in. And he says there's Nothing, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah, but I don't always see what God is doing. It's kind of scary. In fact, I feel like I'm really in the dark right now. I feel like God's just kind of left me. Ah. There are those times when we feel like we're in the dark. And may I suggest that the reasons why we feel like we're in the dark is not because God has forsaken you or left you. That's an impossibility because God doesn't lie. God is not a man. The Bible says that he should lie. God doesn't break his word. He keeps his word. God says, Jesus says, John 10, I know my sheep. They know me. They follow me. They hear my voice. They follow me. And he says, no one can pluck them out of my hand. Now, if you've been placed in the hand of Jesus Christ and he's holding on to you and no one can pluck you out of his hand, then here you are in his hand, right? How might it appear to you in there inside his hand right now? If he's grasping you, how might it appear? Dark. Lord, please don't let go of me. Oh, Lord, I'm searching for you. The Lord's saying... I have never let go of you. I couldn't possibly let go of you. You're the most priceless thing I have. That's how God feels about you. No way will he ever let go of you or lose you. Sometimes it's just in the will of God, in the protective care of God, it can be dark. You say, are you sure about that? Oh, yeah. I'm sure. Let's look at Isaiah for a moment. Book of Isaiah, chapter 50. Verse 10. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let's just stop right there. Let's get the setup here. He's saying, okay, I'm talking to you. Who is he talking to? Oh, I'm talking to those of you that fear the Lord. Is that you? Yeah, I, I fear the Lord. And that doesn't mean to be afraid necessarily. It means to reverence God. I reverence you, God. I take you seriously. That obeys the voice of his servant. Do you obey the voice of God's servant in the word? God's servant, the Messiah? Yes. Okay. So you're my follower. You obey me. You love me. But right now, maybe you're walking in darkness and you have no light. You're going through a dark time and you're looking at your spiritual walk and you're saying, well, it's not because I don't love the Lord. It's not because I don't want to follow the Lord. Man, if the Lord had just told me where to walk and I could get out of this darkness, I'd love it. But maybe it's a situation where the Lord's just holding you in his hand and it's one of those moments where it's not the darkness of lostness. It's the darkness of being sheltered by God. Now listen, what does God say? This is what you need to do. Those of you who love me, you reverence me, you obey me, but you're in dark times. Listen to God's advice. 
Read, let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Isn't that a blessing? God says there are two things you can do in dark times. Number one, you trust in my name. You know who I am. That's what the name of his God means. Don't you know who I am? I'm the Lord. I'm the Redeemer. I'm your strong tower. I'm your fortress. I'm your, I'm your strength. I'm your deliverer. I'm the one who has saved you. I'm the one who loves you. You know my name. When we say the Lord, and that's the sacred name of God, Yahweh is used. He says, let him trust in the name of Yahweh and rely on his God. God's saying, you know who I am. I'm the Lord who loves you and delivers you. I'm the Lord who never leaves you or forsakes you. I'm the Lord who says, do not fear, for I've ransomed you. I've called you by name. Oh, yeah, Lord. And he says, let him rely on his God. God's saying, You've got to trust my name. You've got to trust me, and you've got to rely on me. What does rely mean? Oh, I say to somebody, I'm relying on you. I'm, I'm saying, I, I'm ex- you're going to be responsible. You're going to take care of something. I can trust you. I'm going to just not think about it anymore. I'm going to rest that you're going to do what you say you're going to do, right? Rely. Rely on God. You can rely on God. He's He's trustworthy. When we're in dark times, the counsel, trust in the name of the Lord. Rely on God. See, it all keeps coming back to trust. The reason why we thank God is because we're trusting that he's going to work this stuff out. Even when we don't know how. Even when we don't see it. Could you say, God, I will trust you and you live the rest of your life not seeing it all worked out? Can you live like that? Because that is what you're being called to live as a Christian. That is a life of faith and trust. It is not just believing God and trusting God when you know the end of the movie. But when you don't know the end, you're going to trust him to see you through, all right? Because that's God's responsibility. You say, yeah, yeah, but what the worst thing happens to me? What if the worst thing happens? What is the worst thing that could happen to you? You could die? And is that the worst thing that could happen to you now as a Christian? No, that's not the worst thing. I mean, I die, I go to be with the Lord, right? Do you know? That's the end of a whole lot of trouble. So you're thinking, well, the worst thing that could happen to me isn't the worst thing that could happen to me anymore. So Jesus took care of my biggest problem, which was sin and death. He took care of that. I guess I can trust him to take care of the rest of my problems. Amen? I can trust him for tomorrow. I can trust him for today. I can trust him to take care of my needs. And he will because you are loved. You're his responsibility. You can rely on him. And then there's a principle. This is a principle of Psalm 8411. Psalm 8411. Oh, we got to look at this, okay? You have got to see this. Psalm 8411. I have cried there. I have been happy there. I have been rejoicing in Psalm 84:11. And I have been sad in Psalm 84:11 and I very frankly I've been mad in Psalm 84:11. Psalm 84:11 says the Lord our God is a sun and shield. He gives grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And God tells me when I'm mad and disappointed that he hasn't given me what I need, he says, you know, if, I, if it was good for you, I would have given it to you. It's not good for you. You see, some people, you got to watch out for this because it creeps into Christian beliefs. Some people really think that this says, no thing, no thing ah, will he withhold. Ah. And I mean everything you want. What do you want? You know. you know, we could have a lot of fun with that, but 
You can't live that because it's not the will of God. It says no good thing. It doesn't say nothing. It doesn't say no thing. It says no good thing. God doesn't say, you just tell me what you want. That's not the way it works. There's something called the will of God. There's something called God's loving you too much to give you something that would hurt you. And something about us not being so mature sometimes and we don't understand the big picture. We look at life and we're seeing the backside of a tapestry. We see the loose ends. We see the knots. We see, this doesn't look right. God, what are you doing here? Lord, this is terrible. And God's saying, you just don't see the whole thing. You don't see. And it's not even completed anyway. Just relax. I know what I'm doing. No good thing will he withhold. You see, there's, there's some things, there are three things I hang on to and I just can't let go of them. That God loves me. That God is in control. And that God has a plan for my life. Those are three immovable things in my life. God loves me. God is in control. God has a plan for my life. I don't have to be in fear. You know, you don't have to, God loves me. And you don't have to, you know, this world is so out of what? Control, right? And you can be so afraid, you know. I mean, there's diseases to catch and, and there's accidents that could happen and, and there's deaths that you could die, you know. Be so afraid. And, but when you understand, wait a minute, you, you are not in the clutches of fate or luck or coincidence. God has a plan for you. For you. He has a special, unique plan that's different from anybody else's and he is, has the power to work it out. And it's all in love. God loves you. You put those three things together, I'm telling you, you can go through anything. God loves me. That is not, that, that is something I can never doubt and I'm putting it, it's just in my life forever. He loves me. I'm never gonna fall out of his love. He loves me, that's it, period. Secondly, he's what? He's in control. He's sovereign, he's God, and he has a plan. I can rest in that. Now, it says no good thing will he withhold. Now, sometimes we ask for things and God says, no, wait. And that can be so disappointing too. It's not a matter that God doesn't want to give you something. It's just a matter of timing. Timing. We're stepping into the time of the year where people are beginning to look at gifts and think about giving gifts to each other, aren't we? And I don't like to have to go in the Christmas rush. I don't mind like walking around a mall with no pressure and just kind of looking around and sitting in a relaxed way, you know, and watching people go around. But, I, you know, the pressure to get it all this time of year, it can just be kind of crazy. So I like to do my, my Christmas shopping all year long. And I have a box with my kids' names on it and my wife's name. And what I do is all through the year when I find things that I think or I know that my kids and my wife would like, I just store it away. I buy it, I'll store it away. And sometimes they'll come up and they'll say, oh, the girls, especially daddy. Oh, dad, this would be so neat. And, yeah, and, and well, many times I'll say, no, no, you know, we really, we, I don't want to do that. Let's don't do that right now. We're just looking more this time. And, and then what I'll do is I'll, I'll take it and I'll run to the cash register. And when they're not looking, I get them sent someplace else. And, quick, 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 you know, give me this. And, and I want to pay for this. And I put it in the bag. And uh, sometimes I'll stuff it, you know, <laughs> back here where we see it. And, or I'll run it out to the car real fast. And, and then in the, on the way home, you know, oh, that was sure the neatest. Oh, wasn't that the cutest? And they'll talk to each other. Well, don't you think that was the cutest? Oh, yeah, that was the cutest. That would look so good on you. Oh, and I could have borrowed it too. And oh, you know, the back and forth. <laughs> and they have, they're just kind of disappointed. They have no idea. It's in the box. 
Danny, Dad, you know, look at this Lego thing. Dan, we don't need any more. We got five million Lego pieces at home. <laughs> Could build a house the size of our house. You, no, we don't need any more. Oh, but it's the one I don't have. This is the super duper, you know, you know. No. Put it in the box. You know what? That's my father heart. It really works out well, too, like when you forget your anniversary and you got something in the box. <laughs> Brothers, brothers, take note here. <laughs> take note, special note. And it also works to buy a couple cards ahead of time, anniversary, birthday. Have those in the box, too, so that it doesn't look like you forgot, even though, you know, you didn't. But, you know, what was I talking about? Oh, oh, oh. the father heart. That's my father heart, though. I want to get him those things. But it's not always the timing yet. I know they're stored away. And you know what? Father in heaven. Oh, he's even better. You know what the Bible says? Listen to this. How great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who love you. Isn't that cool? God stores up in his closet the box with your name on it all these good things that he wants to give you. How great is your goodness which you've stored up for those who love you. If God doesn't give you something right away, maybe he's not saying no. There are moments when he says no, <laughs> no way, nada, uh-uh. Other times God is saying, wait, I've got a time for that. I know when I'm going to give you that. And it's just going to surprise you. Don't be disappointed in God. Trust God. Can you spell trust? Help me out. T-R-U-S-T. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the things that we don't understand. We want to say thank you for difficulties, even for the sorrows and loss that we experience, not because we're taking a joy in it, Lord, but because we are trusting you, and to even say those words is something that only somebody who knows the living God and re is relying on him could say. Lord, we want our lives to live our thanks. We want to be people who are responding by trust when situations come into our lives that are hard. We don't want to be controlled by our circumstances. Lord, we pray that you will please Give us continued strength and joy in this journey. In Jesus, your name we pray, and everyone said, amen. God bless you.
Now listening to Unity in Christ, the English hour in our broadcast program. Download the app for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries, available on Play Store and App Store. You can now listen to this week's or past week's programs on your Androids or iPhones. Just search for Heart and Soul to find it in the store. If you have any questions, please call us at 602 866-8999 or heartandsoul.org at gmail.com That's H-E-A-R-T-A-N-D-S-E-O-U-L dot org at gmail.com Following is the program called Questions from the Bible. Hello, everyone. I'm Susan Holtgrew, your host for the Questions from the Bible series. If God granted you one wish, what would you ask for? I asked a friend this question once, knowing his faith, I thought he would say something along the lines of strength to endure and overcome or the heart to love God more. But do you know what he said? With a look of longing in his eyes, he told me, salvation, there is nothing greater than salvation. This was not because he was unsure of his salvation. I knew that in his certainty, he wanted his day-to-day life to reflect this devotion it became apparent that he regarded salvation as the one thing of greatest value, and he wished to enjoy this great gift every day of his life. The Bible also is a testament to how great and precious God's salvation is. That is why we should not underestimate its value. The scripture states there are inevitable consequences to neglecting salvation. For the questions from the Bible program today, we will look at the question from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, where it says, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? There are a few reasons why this particular verse doesn't just say salvation, but so great a salvation. One is because the source of salvation is so enormous. The source being God's love. It is because salvation comes from God's boundless love 
that we cannot say it is anything but so great a salvation. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God's love for us was so great that he let his son die in our place to let us live with him. Salvation comes from this love, which is why it is so great a salvation. The second reason it is so great a salvation is because the result of salvation is also enormous. The biggest outcome of salvation is that we can be in peace with God. In the Bible, our relationship to God before salvation is described as that of an enemy of God. To be an enemy means to oppose and hate someone. We lived fighting God like the fallen Satan had done. The Greek word for enemy is ekthros, which means someone who possesses extreme hatred. Our relationship with God was one of extreme hatred. Because God is just and hates sin, he must judge sin, and those who followed the ways of Satan were under the judgment of God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. With Jesus Christ dying for our sins, our relationship with God as enemies was broken. The result of Jesus' salvation was us living in peace with God. A salvation that can turn enemies to peace. How magnificent is that? This is why it is so great a salvation. While there are those who believe and accept such a salvation, there are people who reject it. And then there are those who neither accept nor reject it. These are the people who, the Bible says, neglect salvation. The definition of to neglect is to pay little or no attention or to disregard. Those who neglect salvation most likely do not purposefully reject the gospel, but in the end, they simply do not care. Their decision on the gospel is put on the back burner while other decisions in life take precedent. They make the mistake of thinking they have enough time between now and death to make the choice. The scary thing is that the hearts of those who neglect salvation become hardened over time, and a hardened heart becomes insensitive. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, it says, Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Callous is the word that we use to describe hardened parts of the skin, but is used here to mean hardened and insensitive, just like we can't feel any pain when a callus on our skin is pricked with a needle, the hearts of those who continuously neglect salvation become hardened and insensitive to sin, and in the end are too far from the life of God. Therefore, those who neglect salvation cannot escape from the consequences, which is God's punishment. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2, the passage just before this question, we are told how certain the consequences are for those who neglect salvation. It states that just penalty will be given to those who do not obey the Old Testament laws made firm by the angels. If so, how can we think to avoid penalty from neglecting the great salvation given to us through Jesus Christ by the one who created the angels? Those who neglect salvation can never escape punishment. I met someone once who, after finding out I am a Christian, told me his story. He said he used to go to church and was very active in his faith, 
But now it's been a long time since he stopped going to church and living a life of faith. When I asked him why, he said life got busy and he became lazy and deviated from the path, but that he will return to faith someday. He sounded hesitant, like he lost confidence that he could return. But then again, he seemed quite adamant that he would return. So I prayed for him, and when I had the chance to meet him again, I encouraged him to return to God, emphasizing there is nothing more important than this. But he answered, I can't right now. I'm so busy that I can't think of anything else. He didn't seem to have anything against salvation or the gospel, but he didn't seem to value salvation above all else either. If the decision on salvation keeps getting pushed off as a result of a few things here and there in our daily lives, our hearts will become hardened and insensitive moving further away from the life of God. Neglecting salvation then becomes the same as rejecting salvation. What value do you give to salvation? Do you have something of greater and higher value than salvation? God gave us salvation through the most precious blood of Jesus. What he gave is so great a salvation. My hope for us is to be able to experience such a great salvation each and every day. That's it for Questions from the Bible for today. I look forward to meeting with you again next week. God bless you and your family. Goodbye.
But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. This is the passage from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5. through 5. This passage does not mean the world will become like this because the world has always been like this. This passage is alluding churches will become like this. Churches will follow the values of the world and live on not being distinguished from the world. I believe the reason for this stems from not knowing the value of God's love and grace and being ungrateful to God. Because we do not understand the value of the humiliation that Jesus endured on the cross, the value of the death that he had to die on that cross, do we not live the ungrateful life that we live? Next week is Thanksgiving. The true meaning of Thanksgiving is not about giving thanks for the plentiful harvest. It's about giving thanks to God's grace that led the pilgrims across the treacherous ocean through the harsh winter and against various diseases. It is the grace that paid the blood price of his only son who died in our stead instead of the ones who should have died. It has saved us from death and led us through all the hardships of life to this day. And I hope we can truly give thanks to God who will continue to lead us until the day salvation is complete. Though the last days will come when like Apostle Paul had said, people will be ungrateful for God's grace. I pray that you, our listeners, will not forget to always give thanks. This ends our Unity in Christ program for today. Thank you for joining me, and I look forward to speaking to all of you again next week. Have a wonderful week, and God bless. I believe in the sun. I believe in the risen one I believe I overcome By the power of His blood Amen
Amen.